Okay, take two. Okay. Ready? Ready. Okay, let's start with the uh, dedication. Dedicated in memory of Dvor Fega Bat Shmuel Zichronal of Racha. And Yabodl Chaim Tev Maruchim and for Rafur Shalem of Menachem Mendel Ben Sarabatya and Yaakov Ben Penina. Also, my personal dedication for Rachel Bas Miriam Rafur Shalem and for Sterna Mezani Simcha Bas Tivia for Rafur Shalem. Okay, Barachat Adin Doy Lehin Melachilam Shak Nivari. Okay, tonight's class is called Four Cups of Redemption. Traveling the entire journey. So what's the modern day issue that we're going to talk about? So the modern day issue that we're going to talk about is less than whole. How often do we feel disappointed when our efforts don't bring us back the results that we were aiming for? How much more so it is when we are speaking of spiritual matters, you know, then you ask yourself like, okay, Hashem, God, you know, I'm, I'm not even looking for my egocentric self uh, physical wealth and power and fame and beauty. I'm talking about spiritual matters in which we feel we truly stopped, stepped out of our comfort zone for God and feel that God promised us if we do, we will receive spiritual reprieve, a spiritual meaning and sense of purpose and spiritual and emotional contentment. And yet, while we have truly taken this step, and not that we are deceiving ourselves, but we have truly, tangibly and practically taken this step, out of our egocentric behaviors and towards God's will for me and nevertheless we do not experience the desired or even promised experience of life. Now doubly so is the sense of dejection if what we searched for is not a physical or even spiritual selfishness but selfishness but for to live the will of God for us. And nevertheless, so it is as a feeling of futility descends upon us. So imagine if all you're trying to do is open yourself up for the will of God. God, tell me what you want for me, and I'm willing to do it. And you don't get an answer. You're opening yourself up to see some type of consciousness. God, connect somewhere. Show me. Give me a sign. Just tell me what you want me to do. Which path do you want me to take? What am I missing to be able to open myself up? And no answer. So there's a deep feeling of dejection. You know, if I ask God to make me a millionaire and he says no, okay, or he doesn't answer me, okay, I ask myself, you know, really, I don't know what I deserve and what I don't deserve. But if I'm asking God, God, what am I asking of you for spiritual and not even for my own spiritual? Okay? We are speaking here of a scenario. What are we really talking about here? Let's set this up. In which we are the Pharaoh of our own Egypt. And within us we have our own Moses, the godly soul. The story of Pesach becomes Passover, becomes so personal now. For I am Pharaoh and I am Moses. And within me there's the voice of Moses telling the voice of Pharaoh, let my people go. Who comes to help us free ourselves from our inner slavery. We hear Moses, we take guidance from our Moses, and we act on it. And still, no reprieve from our self-centeredness, which is the motive and drive for our every thought, speech, and action. 
So here tonight, we're talking about breaking out of the shackles, right? That's what Passover is all about, liberation. But here we're talking about a liberation where we're asking ourselves, can we get out of our egocentric drive, which lies within every one of our thoughts, speech, and actions? And Moses is asking us, let it go, just for a moment. Take a reprieve for a moment, let it go. It's not about you today. It's not about me. Let's make it about God. Let's make it about the greater good. And as much as God, Moses within me, tells the Pharaoh within me, let it go. And yet for some reason, like in the story of Passover, we can't. Rabbi Isaac Luria, the Arizal, teaches that holidays are not only about the past, but by remembering the past, through study, prayer, and observances of the holidays, the traditions, we reenact the events once again. Nizkarim v'na'asim is what the verse says, which literally means remembered and done. And he says, through remembering, and we create the enactment of the what was done, what happened, is how the Arizal defines this verse, this words in the verse. Through nizkarim, it becomes na'asim. Thus, we're not remembering here in Passover what happened in the year 2448 to creation, some 3,300 and something years ago. No, we're not just doing that. But rather, that Rizal teaches us the secret that Passover is a gateway which opens again and again and again every year. Thus, we're looking to create Passover 2019, not just to remember Passover of the old, okay? Thus the Passover is about what are my present struggles? Who is my present Pharaoh within me? Which character defects? Who is the Moses within me? What is he saying? How am I being empowered to finally break down and let my people go? Excuse me, this lecture is based on a mimer the Rebbe delivered in 1965 on the second night of the Passover after the Seder which explores the deeper yet most practical meaning to our drinking four cups of wine at the Seder. So let's... Ooh. So let's go over this for a moment. If you don't reach the highest, you don't get to the lowest. So many of us, we dabble with Kabbalah, spirituality, but we don't know how to make it practical. The gift that the Rebbe gives us in his teaching is, he takes it straight to the depth, and from there straight to practical. So this class, we're gonna have to walk out of here with a practical understanding of the mystical depths of the Four Cups of Wine, okay? So, let's go. Introduction, why four? Let's talk about simply, what is the reason we have Four Cups of Wine? You know that it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, in the Torah, that we should have Four Cups of Wine. It's a rabbinical, commandment, not a biblical commandment. The biblical commandment says you shall eat matzah, moror, and the, and the Passover sacrifice. doesn't say anything about wine. The rabbis instituted it. So let's talk about it. Why did they institute it? So in, in the beginning of the story of the Exodus, right, God tells Moses, he uses four words, v'hotzeiti, I'll take out, v'hitzalti, and I will rescue, v'goalti, and I will redeem, and v'lokachti, and I will take. 
So those four terminologies for Exodus is there for a reason. Now, what is the reason that God uses for the Torah is so careful that we learn out so many laws and, and, and commandments and everything from, from letters? Why do you have to use four? So there's a Medrash that says that the four, redem the four terminologies of redemption is the redemption of the four decrees that Pharaoh put upon the Jews. The first decree was Avodas Perach, that they had to do hard labor. The second decree is when he told them that your children, the boys, should be thrown into the Nile River, the babies as they're born. The third one was, we're taught that Pharaoh, because he had leprosy and they told him that to bathe in, in pure um, uh, infant's blood is, would help his leprosy, so he would slaughter the Jewish babies and bathe in their blood. And then the last one, you remember right before the redemption when Moses says, let my people go, what's Pharaoh's reaction? You're going to have to continue living up to your quota, but I'm going to stop providing you with the straw from which to make the mortar. So those are the four decrees. So according to the Medrash, the first opinion in the Medrash, is that the reason why they instituted four cups of wine is for the four terminologies of Exodus, which talk about four different Exoduses within the Exodus of Pharaoh, because there were four different decrees from which we were redeemed. That's one part of the Medrash, okay? Now, what does that have to do with the cup of wine? So there's an interesting thing here that most people don't know. The reason why the rabbis connected those four terminologies, which represent the four different redemptions of the four different decrees that Pharaoh made, has to do with the dream that the wine merchant told to Joseph. Remember the wine merchant and the baker? They had dreams. So the wine merchant, if you look in his, in his story, he's holding the cup of Pharaoh. And it says it five times, four times. There's four different cups in the dream. The four times he used the word cup. And then because the verse says, and the cup of Pharaoh was in my hand, this, so we're taught from here have the sages established the four cups of wine of the night of Passover. So you have the four terminologies which represent the four redemptions from the four decrees that Pharaoh made. And the reason we connect it with wine goes back to the four times that the wine is mentioned, the cup of wine is mentioned when the wine merchant of Pharaoh had a dream and turns to Joseph for an interpretation. That's one opinion. However, there's another opinion. According to this opinion, all the, all, the, uh, all the four cups of wine and the four terminologies all has to do with the exodus of Egypt. That one exodus that we talk about in the Torah. However, there's another opinion in the same Medrash that says as follows. That really the four terminologies of redemption is really all about, hello, is really all about four different exiles. Now there's two ways to count the four, the four exiles. One way to count the four exiles is Egypt, right? From there you go to Persia, story of Purim. From there you go to the, the, the from there you go to, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Pharaoh, Egypt, Babylon, Persia, and the last one is Edom, Rome. There's another way to count it 
that says you don't need to count Egypt because that's already in the Chumash. So you talk about Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Edom. We're now in Edom. Now, according to this opinion that the four cups of wine represent the four different redemptions, and the fourth one is going to be the redemption of Edom, the one where we are now being redeemed from, what comes out from this? That in the four cups of wine, we also talk about, hello, we also talk about the redemption that Mashiach is going to imminently bring us out. So the four cups of wine here, according to this opinion, don't just mean, because what, what the question is, why would we talk about the redemption of, of anything else on the night of, of, of Passover when we're talking about the redemption of Egypt? And the answer is because according to Kabbalah, the word Mitzrayim means constraints. Thus, every exile is called Mitzrayim. Every ex exodus is called Yitziat Mitzrayim, taking us out of the constraints. Thus, on the night of Passover, according to this opinion in the Medrash, we, the sages introduce, in, in, introduced four cups of wine because they know the Jewish people were in our fourth and final exile, so there's four exiles will be four redemptions. Okay? Okay, so that's that opinion. So just that you know, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, there's the famous story of the rabbi, you're right, you're right, and you're also right. There is no wrong opinion in the Torah. So even though we legally follow one opinion, nevertheless, all opinions are true. You saw it last week in the class when I shared with you the argument whether the world was created in Tishrei or in Nisan. And we say that in Nisan it was created within the thought of God. And in Tishrei it was created within the speech of God which turned it into action. And God said, let there be. Right? So sometimes when you have an argument, it's not a right and a wrong. It's a right and a right on two different dimensions. That's the way Kabbalah handles all opinions. Thus, when you have two opinions of why we have the four cups of wine, the fact that we have four and not eight means seemingly one is right and one is wrong. No, they're talking about different dimensions of the Exodus. Okay? Now that we understand that, I wanted to share with you that over here, sometimes you talk about the inner dimension and the outer dimension. That's sometimes how you, the Kabbalah will answer. They're both right, they're talking about two different dimensions, like we spoke about the dimension of thought or the dimension of speech. Over here we're gonna see that really these, these, two, these, these two opinions of the four cups of wine, which is about the four redemptions, which is what we were enacting in the night of the Seder, whether we're talking about the four redemptions of the four decrees of Pharaoh in Egypt, or whether we're talking about the four redemp four redemption from the four exiles of the Jewish people throughout our history experience, they're not arguing. They're talking about it in two different dimensions. Okay? And we're going to see how that works. So it's really two spiritual realms that's going on. With that being said, let's go to the next thing. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, now, now that we have this understanding, let's go this introduction of the number four, representing four for different types of uh, redemptions, four different types of, that's my glasses, that's crooked, four different types of redemptions and four different types of, for four different types of exiles. Let's talk about what the class is really all about. So let's go to the list of the mystical concepts. Number one, four truths. 
There's four truths. And I don't mean that there's four truths as in this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true. There are four levels of truth. Number two, the four teshuvot, repentance, returning, which has to do with the four redemptions, which has to do with the four letters of God's name, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. The next, thing, the next topic we're gonna to talk about is why four? We're gonna talk about on a mystical concept, why is there four levels in all of these? And then the last thing we're gonna talk about is the two dimensions, which will explain to us why there's two opinions on what we drink the four cups of wine for, okay? Okay, let's do this. Oof. Our sages have instituted that when we say the Shema, right, is a biblical commandment. They didn't institute for us to say the Shema. The Torah, God instituted for us to, instituted for us to say the Shema twice a day. It says in the Shema that you shall do it when you lie down to sleep and when you wake up. From here we know that you have to say the Shema once at night and once in the morning. You do the three prayers, you will make note that the morning prayer has the Shema, the night prayer has the Shema, Mincha doesn't, it's just Ashrei and Shemon now you know why. However, our sages instituted that because the Shema is such a deep declaration of faith, you can't just wake, out of bed, wake up out of bed, have your coffee, you know, look up what, how your portfolio is doing, check out your social media, and now we're gonna declare God is our God, God is one. So in order to get into the right frame of mind, they instituted that you have two blessings before the Shema and one blessing after the Shema. Now what I wanna do please is take you to the last page. Did you notice the last page is a picture? Our sages tell us that the four cups of wine, which has to do with the four terminologies of redemption, have to do with the four times that it says the word emet, truth. So we know that there are different levels of truth because in the Torah you'll find something called svat emet, the language, the lips of truth. You'll have emet, truth. You'll have emet lamitato, the truth of truths. So over here in this blessing after the Shema, You'll see that on the Hebrew side, I, I put boxes around them. And on the English side, I put a line under it. You'll see that there's four times emet. However, if you look clearly, you'll see that there's eight times. There's four in red and there's four in blue. Why? Because the blessing after the Shema has two paragraphs. There's four times emet in the first paragraph and there's four times emet in the second paragraph. Thus, when our sages tell us that the four cups of wine has to do with the four times it says emet, one second, it says eight times emet, not four times. Thus you now understand that the first paragraph and the second paragraph are two different dimensions in those four emets. Now you also understand what I was telling you a moment ago, that the two opinions, whether it's about the four redemptions that took place within the horrible four decrees within Egypt, or whether it's the four, redemption, four, four redemptions from the four exiles that the Jewish people traveled throughout history. We had four exiles, and I told you they're both right. Now you can see there are two different dimensions. There's the first paragraph four, and there's the second paragraph four. Okay? So we have the four times of truth, and the Zohar is the one that tells us that these four times of truth have to do with the four times 
in the uh, four cups of wine. The Zohar is the one that makes the connection between the Seder night and the four times that we say truth. And then we see that there's really eight times truth, but it's two different paragraphs. So it's really four in two different dimensions. So far, so good? Okay. So right now I'm just giving you facts, but we need to understand what actually is going on here. Okay? So the Zohar is showing us that there's really only four times it says emet, but on two different dimensions. And therefore it says it in the first paragraph and again in the second paragraph. And those are the two dimensions that we're talking about in the four cups of wine. Okay? With that being said, let's go now to practical service. So when we do something by the Seder, we're not just doing tradition in order to pique our mind and our interest and to ask questions and to answer. That's just a Talmudic point of view that we do things in order to arouse questions, especially from the children. Because the sages learned out from the verses four times it says that you should have the four, the, the four children, each one you tell the story differently to. You have to talk to them on their level. So therefore our sages tell us, The reason it says four different times in the Torah, and you shall tell your children and they shall ask you, right? It's because of the four different sons. You have the wise, the wicked, the simple, and the one that doesn't even know how to ask. So those four different times that we talk about, the Talmud tells us that, I'm sorry, it's a Rizal, the Kabbalah tells us that what we're doing with these four cups of wine is we're reenacting. So everything you do, when you eat the morrow, you're not just remembering the bitterness, you're reenacting, getting in touch with the slavery we have within us. And when you lean on the side, you're not just remembering that the Jewish people went free. You're getting in touch within the internal freedom that lives within each and every one of us. And when you have the four cups of wine, it's because within us, our inner Pharaoh has four decrees. And those four decrees control us and we're slaves to them. And thus we have to go ahead and get out of them. Now that we understand that it's practical, so I ask of you, by drinking a, a cup of wine, you get free? Well, some people do. <laughs> But what really happens? So we have to understand what's the deeper dimension in service to God. What do these cups of wine represent? So the answer is going to be something very interesting. Redemption is what the four cups of wine is all about. That's what we've been saying tonight for a while. Now let's look at what our sages tell us. The Talmud tells us in Tractic Sanhedrin, the children of Israel do Teshuvah and they are redeemed. Thus we understand that redemption has to do with Teshuvah. Returning and repentance. It states it as a fact. Now if there's four different levels of redemption and Teshuvah brings redemption, thus we have to say that how many levels of Teshuvah is there? Four. So you have four levels of Teshuvah that are going to bring out the four levels of redemption. So on a deeper level, we're talking about that these four cups of wine is really about the four cups of Teshuvah. So when Moses tells, when our inner Moses tells our inner Pharaoh, let it go, he's asking him to do teshuva. Each cup of wine is supposed to actually be an embodiment. We're actually supposed to think and experience a different level of teshuva. And that's the whole journey of the Seder. From experiencing a total point of inner slavery, 
We each know that there are things we'd love to stop doing, we can't. There are things we'd love to start doing and we can't. That's called slavery. And thus the job of the Seder is to make Passover Exodus 2019. To have the conversation between our Moses and our Pharaoh and to help bring down the stubbornness of Pharaoh to allow the Moses to shine through. Thus four cups of wine, four experiences of teshuva, and that's the journey of the Seder. That's the journey of freedom. So now let's talk about what the four levels of teshuva is. So the four levels of teshuva is found in a verse. What does the verse tell us? The verse tells us in Psalms, Sur shalom It says four things. Turn away from evil, do good, seek truth, and pursue it. Okay? Now I want to put in one more dynamic here so that we can put them all together. Besides the four redemptions, which is what the four cups of wine are about, which is about what the four levels of teshuva is about, we need to know that teshuva is all about returning to God. God expressed himself to us through four letters, a name of four letters. That is the holiest name of God. The Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. Thus the four redemptions, the four terminologies in the, in the portion about the Exodus, about redemption, the four cups of wine, the four levels of teshuva, and the four letters of God's name are all working together. Okay? And now let's see how that works. So let's take it level by level. We're going to now go through the four levels of teshuva, see which terminology and which letter in the name of God it represents. The first one we said is turn away from evil. What is a turn away from evil? Simply speaking, the Torah is made up of two categories of commandments. 613 commandments break into 365 thou shall not, prohibitions, and 248 thou shall do. Okay? Now, concerning a sin, yeah, there's also the sin of not doing what you're supposed to. But when we talk about bringing a sin offering, it's specifically about the rebellion of doing what you weren't supposed to do. Okay? You tell someone to do something for you, a parent tells a child, do this for me, and comes back to find out they didn't do it. It's much easier to understand that something might have happened, they got caught up, they forgot. But if a parent tells a child specifically, do not do this, and they did it, not that easy to understand. That's more an act of rebellion. You actually did what you were told not to do. Now, when it comes to these type of sins, there's a verse in Isaiah that says, your sins were separating between you and Elokechem, your God. So you know that there's 10 different names of God, more famously, seven different names of God, and one of them is Elohim. Thus, when you say your blessings, you say Baruch Atah, you say the first name, the Yud Vav Hey, and then you say Elokeinu. That's the next name of God, right? In English, sometimes they say one is Lord, one is God, but whatever. Okay? Now, let's understand two things. What does it mean a separation between God and I? How can I cause a separation between God and I? God is everything, everything is God. What do you mean a separation between God and I? So the answer is to understand that in... Yeah, you're going to say something? Okay, but how, how does that practically work? In other words, is there something that can actually be a blockage between God and I? 
You know, when, I, when I'm on the other side of the wall, you can't see me. Right? We're separated. It, can that happen with God? If you're in a sound room, the person outside can't hear you. Can that happen with God? Separation is not just a, an emotional thing. So we need to understand what it means here. But you were on the right key about the dimmer. So what happens is, there's three types of separations in Kabbalah. There's a separation within holy. For example, in the holy temple, how many rooms were there? The main, the main portion. There were two rooms. There was the west room, which was the holy of holies, where the holy ark was. And then there was the front room, which is the holy, which had the menorah, the altar, and the table. Now, what separated those two, those two rooms? There was a partition there. Thus, you see that within holiness, there's also a partition. But that partition is like a glass. So it does cause, glass will cause a bend in the light, a dimness in the light. And when you put a lot of glasses, thicker and thicker and thicker, it makes, but it's transparent. Thus, it doesn't separate the holy where there's no more holiness. It separates within holy, between holy of holy and holy. You have two levels of, of Garden of Eden, right? There's a separation between the two. So we're talking about a weakening, so to speak, of what light is allowed to shine through to the next level, through the partition, but we're still talking about holy. Then you have a different type of partition, which is called Klippat Noga. Klippat Noga literally means the peel, the husk of light. Noga means light. And even in modern day Hebrew, you have girls that are called the Noga. It's a girl's name. And Noga means light. Now, what happens here is that here you have what we call in Kabbalah Moshka de Chivya, kind of this, this snake's, uh, the snake's skin. What happens here is that, if, just an example, you have a peel and egg, you'll notice that there are two shells. There's the outside hard shell and then there's the membranes shell. The hard shell, you can't see what's in. When you take out an egg and you have the hard shell, you can't see if it's spoiled, it's not spoiled, you can't see it all. It's 100% opaque. But then the inner membranes, you could see through. It's, it's not colorless. If you look at it, it's not colorless. But you could see through. Thus, the opaqueness is not absolute. In Kabbalah, what that means is that there's one level of husk which separates between the holy and the mundane. Not impure, mundane. For example, eating. When we eat, we have to eat kosher species. Now that kosher food is not holy. It's mundane. What's going to happen to that food as you eat it all depends on your action and your intentions. Did you make a blessing? Are you sharing food with someone else? What were you focusing on? Are you focusing on the taste buds or are you focusing on the energy that we can get from this and use it the right way? So the mundane is neither good nor bad. It's actually in Kabbalah connected to the tree of knowledge, which is a combustion of good and bad. It's a mixture. So you have that type of partition, that type of separation, which does affect the light, but it's not opaque. You can still connect with the spark of God within it. Then you have what we call in Kabbalah the three levels of impurity. If you remember in Genesis, 
Tohu vavohu vachoshech, we talk about. Chaos, emptiness, and darkness. You have a level of a partition, a separation, which is 100% opaque to the point that when you look at this creation, if you have spiritual eyes, you'll see almost zero divine spark in it. Because it is so opaque, so rebellious, so arrogant, so, so narcissistic, that it's not allowing for anything of its divine spark to shine through. Where in the time of Passover, let's quote what the sages say that Pharaoh said, The forest is mine and I made myself. That's the ultimate declaration of denial of any existence of a God. So when we talk about that separation, that is the worst separation because it's absolute, opaque, dark, doesn't allow any divinity to shine through. Now, you and I can relate to that because you and I probably have either read about or saw on the news, there are certain criminals that are so sociopath, they have no remorse. There is nothing of their inner conscience that they're connected with. They're just completely shut down to it. Now, and on a Kabbalistic level, that exists within creatures. For some reason, the pig, unlike the lamb, the pig is such a creature that even if you made a blessing, and even if you did the most spiritual service, and even if you fed the poor with it, it's not a mitzvah. Because the, the pig has a partition to its spark of God which is 100% absolutely opaque. Thus, you cannot connect with the godly spark and you cannot elevate it. Now let's talk about when Isaiah says that your sins, the 365 ultimate three levels of impurity, what separation did they cause is the absolute separation between us and the divinity within us. That's what he says when he says that this is the separation, the sin causes a separation between you and God. And what it really means is the peace of God within you. You're no more connected to feel that. Okay? What does it mean, the peace of God within you? When we talk about the separation. So we have to understand this. The name Elohim is the second name of God. So the first name, the yud heh vav heh we normally say represents kindness. The name Elohim represents strictness, strength, the emanation of givurah, which is either strictness, strength, justice, they're all interrelated. Right? Then comes along the Zohar and says, is there a maz on the Zohar? He says like this, he explains it, that while Elohim is givurah, strictness, concealment, justice. But when it has the suffix elokeinu or elokeichem, it's no more strictness, it's compassion. Now to understand this, we need to understand a very basic question. In your Hebrew, what does suffix nu or chem mean? Elokai, elokeinu, elokeichem. It's all possessive. Mine, ours, yours. 
How is it possible to have a name of God that we can declare possessiveness over it? God doesn't belong to us, we belong to God. And what's amazing is that this is the only name of God. The name of kindness, which you would think to yourself, oh, kindness, okay, that makes sense. God's being kind and he's allowing us to, so to speak, be possessive. He's my God. But no, the only name of God in which we have an expression of possessiveness, that we, it's our God, my God, is only in the name of Elohim, which represents strictness concealment. And the secret here is because the only way that you can have a God level, a God divinity, an infinite light that can permeate me to the point where I call it mine is only when God contracts the light. Thus it makes sense that only Elohim can become Elokeinu. Only when God, with His infinite compassion, has contracted the infinite circular light to allow for one finite, linear, permeating ray of light, which now becomes the mimale, that which fills the world. Then you can have the compassion of God allows us to say He's my God, because he's within me. So now you understand that when we talk about the verse of Isaiah, where he says that your, your sins are creating a separation between you and Elokechem, he's talking about the compassion of God who contracted himself so that there can be a peace of God within me, which is my life. It's my vitality. It's my consciousness. It's my faculties. But when we become, when we sin, we become deaf to that. When we become sin, when we sin, we become blind to that. We become separated from that. And thus, the more sin happens, it's even harder to feel a consciousness of remorse. Because we're building a absolutely opaque separation between our consciousness, our Selves and the soul within us. Which, by the way, going back to how we started the class, now we can understand why it's so hard for our Pharaoh to hear and react to our Moses within us. So what are we saying here? The first level of Teshuvah is stop sinning. The first level of Teshuvah is talking about our relationship with the 365 prohibitions. And what are, we, what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with the relationship we have with the permeating linear finite light of God within us. In the name of God, that represents the last letter of His name, the He. The last letter of His name is He. That second He is the tenth emanation, which is Malchut, kingship, which is the one that descends to become the soul of life within us. Okay? Now, which terminology of the four terminologies of redemption does this, does, does this relate to? So, the answer is, the Hotseiti, I have taken you out of the suffering of Egypt. And here the Rebbe gives us such a practical reason. 
Not doing what you have to do is level number two we're going to talk about that. Here we're talking about doing what you don't have to do, what you're not supposed to do, what you're not allowed to do. When a person does what he or she is not allowed to do, it creates a very heaviness and oppression within us. Thus, the terminology God's using here to do the teshuva of turn away from evil, to bring down the separation between me and my inner consciousness, between my Pharaoh and my Moses, between I and the Elokechem, the divinity within me, that's Vehotzeti. God is taking us out from being under the oppression and the heaviness of our sins. Okay? That's the first cup of wine. That's the last letter of God's name. That is the terminology Vehotzeti. And God said, I'll take, I took you out. And that is the teshuva of just turn away from evil. Stop doing the evil. Now let's go to the second cup of wine, which is the second level of teshuva, which is the second level of, of the terminology, the second word of the terminology, and that is, and do good. When we talk about do good, we're talking about doing. So here we're not talking about the 365 prohibitions, we're talking about the 248 actual good. Now look in your notes, and you'll see, I quote a verse there. It's a verse in Isaiah that says, Praise the righteous man, for he is good. And what does he mean by that? For the fruit of their deeds they shall eat. So we're talking about the deeds. What is the goodness that we're talking about by the righteous? It's their doing the mitzvot. Now the word in Hebrew for good is tov. Tov is made up of three Hebrew letters. Tet, vav, vet. Let's do the, numer let's do the numerology. Tet is nine, vav is six, is 15, vet is two, is 17. So the numerical, the numerical value of the word tov is 17. Okay? It's going to get a little Kabbalistic now. Of the many names of God, there is one name which is spelled Aleph, Hey, Vav, Hey. Let's do the numerology. Aleph is one. Hey is five, is six. Vav is six, is 12. Hey is five, equals 17. So in Kabbalah, the word Tov equals 17, and the number 17 equals to the God's name of Aleph Hey Vav Hey. Comes all Kabbalah and tells us what is the secret of the name Aleph Hey Vav Hey. It's the acronym of four words in Jeremiah, in one of the verses. What is the verse? The verse says, Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Now, look, I underlined for you those four words. Et Hashemayim, we're on page four, bottom, second to the bottom line. Et Hashemayim ve'et ha'aretz. What are the first letters of those four words? The name I just told you. Aleph, hey, vav, hey, which equals 17, which equals good, which equals doing mitzvot. What's the secret here? When the verse says, et ha'shemayim ve'et ha'aretz animaleh, God says, I fill heaven and I fill earth. Heaven represents spirituality and infinite. Earth represents physical and finite. 
So when we talk about this name, which represents how God fills heaven and earth equally, how can he fill the infinite and the finite equally? So let's do a simple example. If you had a five ounce cup, how many ounces can you fit into the cup? Five. If you had an eight ounce cup, how many ounces can you fit into the cup? Eight. So seemingly what fills has to match the, the vessel. What happens if you throw the cup into the ocean? How big can the ocean be? So here we're not talking about fitting it in, we're talking about encompassing. Thus you have the circular infinite light, you have the linear finite light, the linear permeates, and the circular encompasses. Kick back on last week's class a moment. You remember how I told you last week the difference between the do's and the don'ts? Right? Here we're taking it a little different here. Here we're actually saying the opposite of what we said last week. Last week we said the do nots is the circular and the do's is the linear. We have to understand how in this teaching is the opposite. But he's telling us that what is the sin when we do what we're not supposed to do? It's not that we're making a separation between the God within us and our consciousness. Rather, we're creating a separation between the infinite circular power and ourselves. Okay? This is why this terminology of redemption for this teshuva, of doing what you have to do so that you can connect with the circular, not just with the, not just with the linear, is connected to the terminology vihitsalti. What does vihitsalti mean? Vihitsalti means, and I saved. Many of you may be familiar that in certain uh, neighborhoods they have a uh, uh, ambulatory um, volunteer group called Hatsala. Hatsala means to save. But here's a secret. In Kabbalah, the word Hatsala is also connected with the word Tzel. What does Tzel mean? Shade. What does shade represent? That which is above you and covers you. Thus, the terminology of this teshuva is when we go ahead and we start doing what we have to do in order to bring in to us from the circular, then God's saying, Vihitsalti, I will reconnect you with the shadow, with the circular infinite, not just with the linear finite. This is connected to the Vav. So we have the Yud He Vav He. We're going from lower to higher, so we're working backwards. So we had the He, which is the descendants of kingship, into, that's the divinity within us. We have the Vav, which is the circular. Now, important to know. In Kabbalah you have Teshuva and Baal Teshuva. Simply speaking, Teshuva is the verb, Baal Teshuva is the person. But in Kabbalah it's not like that. In Kabbalah there's also a different meaning. Teshuva is the recipient, Baal Teshuva, the master of the Teshuva is the giver. In Kabbalah, in every realm, you'll have the feminine and the masculine. The feminine represents the receiver, the masculine represents the giver. 
Thus the hey, you know that the letter hey, suffix hey, is in Hebrew is what? Masculine. Kingship is the receiver. The six male emotions is what gives it. Let's make it very practical for a moment, instead of do-do-do-do. Kingship represents thought, speech, and action. What drives your thought, speech, and actions? Your feelings. So within a thought, speech, and action, there's the letters, the thought, speech, and action, which is the recipient, that's malchut, that's the hey. Then you have the emotions, which fills it and drives it and gives it, that's the male emotions, that's the giver. So now you have the second level of teshuva is not just stop doing what you shouldn't do, start doing what you're supposed to do. And by doing what you're supposed to do, you're connecting to the infinite will of God. Thus, we're talking about the circular, the infinite. Thus, we're talking about vihitsalti, not from the simple meaning of saving, but from the meaning of shadow, shade, because God is reconnecting you with the shade that protects over us. Okay? That's the second cup of wine experience. At the second cup of wine, we should start beating up our Pharaoh, so to speak, loosening the grip of our Pharaoh that we can do things that we don't want to do for God. Okay? Now let's go to the third level. But before we go to the third level, I just want to tell you, in God's name, there's two halves. The last two letters of Hallelujah is what? Yud and Hey. What does Hallelujah mean? Hallel-ka, praise God. So that means the yud Hey of God's name is a name for itself. The vav Hey is the lower levels. In Teshuvah you have what we call Tshuva Ila'a, Tshuva Tata'a. We have higher Teshuvah, lower Teshuvah. What we just experienced here was the Teshuvah and the Baal Teshuvah, the receiver and the giver of the lower dimension of Teshuvah of the vav Hey of the do and the don't do. Now we're gonna talk about the higher level of teshuva, which is the next two cups of wine. The next two terminologies of redemption. And let's see what that means. Seek peace. What does it mean, seek peace? Mystically speaking, what is peace called? It's not only mystical, it's in the Talmud. Peace is Torah study. For our sages say in the Talmud and Sanhedrin, Rabbi Alexandri says, anyone who engages in the study of Torah introduces peace into the heavenly entourage above and into the earthly entourage below. Simply speaking, shalom bimromav, shalom aleinu. There's the bimromav, up there you have to make peace between fire and water, Gabriel and Michael, right? Shamayim, shamayim, heaven stands for what? Two words, Eish Mayim. We have to bring peace between those two. There's the arch, there's the arch ministering angel called Michael. He's water, he's kindness. There's the arch angel Gabriel. He's strength, he's strictness. Fire. So we bring peace between the two. And then there's bringing peace down here. That's the simple way of looking at it. But there's a deeper way. Which means not that he makes peace up there and peace down here. Not only that. He makes peace between up there and down here. Between heaven and earth. Between spiritual and physical. Between finite and infinite. So Torah is the one that brings peace 
between the finite linear and the infinite circular. So Torah is the one that actually brings together the do's and the don'ts. I mean, practically speaking, simply speaking, where do we learn out all the commandments, the 248 do's and the 248 don'ts? They all come from the Torah. Thus the Torah itself is higher than it, from which these two are both expressions. The Torah is telling you what God wants. God's want equally expresses itself and I don't want you to eat lobster and I do want you to light Shabbos candles. That's it. Is there any difference between the two from the Torah's perspective of telling you what God wants? Does it make a difference in the verses telling you what not to do or what yes to do? So an action is very different. An action, trying to hold yourself back from doing something that you really want to do is, is much harder, for example. And doing something that you don't want to do is not easy either. But they're two different experiences. One is linear, one is circular, one is the God within you, and one is the shade around you. One's finite, one's infinite. Whatever you're going to do is going to be finite. It's the beginning and an end. Right? If I tell you, put on film every day, right? Besides Shabbos and Yontem, what am I telling you to do? Every day, for five minutes a day, put on film. If I tell you, don't eat pork, that means not now, not in five minutes, not in 20 minutes, it's 24 7. It's circular. So the Torah, but from the Torah's point of view, when he's telling you, they're both equal. I'm telling you what God wants. It expresses itself in the finite, do this. It expresses itself in the infinite, never do that. So the Torah itself is higher than both. Thus the Torah is from where all the commandments come. Okay? Now, what does this mean to us? There's an interesting verse. It's in Samuel. Kel deot Hashem. God is a God of deot. Vav tav suffix is what? Feminine plural. So we're saying God is a God of knowledges. Circular, infinite, infinite. much more all-encompassing. So there's two things there. Respect your mother and father. Yeah, respect your mother and father, first of all, has actions. There's certain actions you have to do. Those actions are in specific times. Right now, if you don't disrespect your parent, there's nothing you can do right now in this second to respect your parent. Right? You're just not disrespecting your parent. But it is a finite thing. The Torah actually, the, the, in Jewish law, it tells me what it means. It means I can't sit in a seat, I can't call him by his first name, I can't. There's certain specific things. Going to what we were talking about here now, when you talk about the Torah being the all-encompassing that from which both comes, both the do's and the don'ts come equally from the Torah. From the Torah's perspective, it's, it's expressing the exact same thing. Torah, what are you telling me when you tell me what not to do? I'm telling you what God wants. Torah, what are you telling me when you tell me what I have to do? I'm telling you what God wants. So therefore, there's a level from which both come equally. So to understand this on a mystical level, we're going to talk about the verse, Kel Deot Hashem. God is a God of knowledges. So for right now, I'm going to use the word knowledges in the sense of paradigms. What does it mean God is a God of paradigms? 
You think that God only has one paradigm, the one and only true paradigm. We have different paradigms. We struggle, what's right, what's wrong, when's it right, when's it wrong. But from the perspective of, of God, there's only one paradigm. And the answer is no. There's a difference between the upper and the lower. From the higher perspective, God is something and we are nothing. Why? Because from, uh, from the higher paradigm of reality, anything that has a beginning and an end and changes in between is not a real existence. If it's gone tomorrow, it's not even here today. Thus, from that perspective, God is something and we are nothing. So it would be nihilo ex in Latin. From our paradigm, it's ex nihilo. We are something and God is nothing. Why? We call God nothing because we have certain properties which define a something. And God defies every one of those properties. For us, a something has to have a time, a space, a form, something, a description. God defies all of that. So from the linear light, we're the something and God's nothing. From the circular light, God's the something and we're the nothing. So you should know from God's perspective, they're both right. Because the linear light is a light of God. Thus, from God's perspective, they both exist equally and He brings them together. They're not mutually exclusive, but wonders of wonders, they're mutually inclusive. Because God is everything and everything is God. Thus, the level of teshuva of Torah study, what does it mean practically? Torah study means that we're going into the higher dimensions of intellects rather than the small dimensions of emotions. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and just say this in a moment. Emotions make us small. Intellect makes us big. And I know we can argue about this, but I'm just talking about the plain, simple thing. What makes a kid small is that the power of his mind isn't big enough to control his emotions. What makes an adult an adult? Hopefully, he can have his mind control his emotions. When we talk about the higher level of teshuva, the first two levels of God, uh, of God's name, we're talking about the intellects, wisdom and understanding. Here we're talking about understanding Torah. From understanding Torah, the more you understand, the more you'll see that there isn't complex, complexity. It really all comes from a oneness. Thus, there's a oneness of the essence of light from which the finite expression and the infinite expression are both the same. What does that mean practically to you and me? When we study Torah, what we're trying to do is get out of our smallness. The teshuva of Torah study is to step out of my paradigm of reality, which is very small, and to allow myself to open up to God's paradigm of reality, which is very big. It's me stop focusing on the ego of what I know and what I understand. That's the teshuva here. Stop telling God and stop listening to God. <laughs> you ever saw that famous uh, quote? Stop telling God how big your problems are and stop telling your problems how big God is. That's a, that's a mind shift there. That's a mind shift from emotions to intellect. That's the teshuva of this hay. That's the first hay, which is Bina.
Let's do the fourth, fourth one. The fourth and final teshuva. Oh, by the way, this is Vigo'alti. This is an I will redeem you and it's the first hey. Why? Because the intellects redeem us from the smallness of our emotions. Okay? The last one is pursue it. Pursue it, I'm going to do this one backwards. The highest level of, of teshuva, I'm going to first tell you what letter it is. The first letter of God's name is what? Yud. Yud is the smallest letter. It's just a dot. What that represents is absolute humility and absolute self-negation. This is the place of where we return back into the bosom of God, so to speak, because I'm letting go of any form of identity that I may have as me. Here you see yourself not as I am me, but I am a creation of God. Thus, ultimately, it's all about how I exist within the bosom of God. The ultimate teshuva is not about what I do, what I don't do, what I understand, what I don't understand, because all of those started with the word I. The ultimate teshuva is to remove the I, the Yud. That's why this one is the verse that says, Vilokachti. The highest cup of wine is the one that says, And I have taken you unto me. You have gotten completely out of my way, and thus I have taken you unto me. I want to just do this, we're running over time, but I want to just do this briefly, just to understand this. God told Abraham, Lech lecha, go for your sake. What do you mean for your sake? Well, what do I have to gain out of it? So Rashi says three things. One of the three things God told him is, over here you have no fame. If you'll go, you'll have fame. So the Rebbe, blessed memory, asked a simple question. Abraham said about himself, I am but dust and ashes. The last thing Avraham Avinu was interested in was in fame. So what's God bribing him? You go, I'll give you fame. I'm not interested. So the Rebbe asked a question. Why would Avram be bought into fame? This is the answer. Avram Avinu knew that at that stage of life, when people looked at him, who did they see? The man who walks in the ways of God. The man who believes in God. Thus, his fame is whose fame? God's fame. That's how you bribe Abraham. You understand what the, what the teshuva of humility is? It's not all about me. That's the Vilakakti. Okay, so you know that these two are the higher teshuva. Once again, wisdom, the dot, is the male. Remember we explained it last week? The male is the dot. He gives over just the one sperm with all the DNA in it. It's a dot. And understanding is the feminine. It's the process of pregnancy, extrapolation of the whole DNA. Thus you have once again the Baal Teshuva, the giver, which is wisdom, and the recipient, which is the Bina, understanding. Okay, so we went through all of this. We now understand that the four cups of wine represent the four redemptions, represent the four letters of God's name. Most important, practically, it represents the four levels of Teshuva. Turn away from evil. So you can get back in touch with your inner linear God, linear God. Do what you're supposed to so you can get in touch with the infinite will, the shade of God. Study Torah so we can get out of the smallness of our emotions paradigm and start understanding God's paradigm of reality. And then ultimately, the humility.
the teshuva of humility where it's just let go. Okay? Now, let's go back to the question. Why are there four levels of teshuva? So I'm going to do this quickly. The reason why there's four levels of teshuva is because the way divinity came down here, that's the way we have to go back up to God. How did God come down in divinity? The divinity descended in four letters of God. The Yud, the He, the Vav, the He. That's why our sages say that before God gave us the Torah, He repeated it to Himself four times. The verse says, look at the verse in Job. Then He, God, saw, counted, prepared, searched it out. He said to man. Before He said to man, before He gave us the Torah, He went through it Himself four times. What does that mean? It wasn't that God, oh, well, let me just edit this one last time before I give it. God doesn't edit. Rather, what it is, is that God is having it descend through the Yud, I saw it, through the He, through the Vav, through the He, so it comes down to this world. So just like the divinity, when it came down to this world, it went through four stages, so too, when I do Teshuva of returning what I pulled away back up, it has to go through four stages of Teshuva. Go ahead. Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. We pronounce it as A-D-O-N-A-I because we don't know how to pronounce it correctly. So now we understand the reason why Teshuva is for, the reason why redemption is for, is because exile is all about taking the divinity within the world into the dungeon, imprisoned, not allowing it to be free, not allowing it to be seen, heard, felt. So how did that divinity come into the world? There's four levels of it. Thus, Teshuvah would be returning each one of those levels. Thus, we have to have just like four names of God, we have to have four levels of Teshuvah, which is the four redemptions, which is the four cups of wine. Okay? So now we understand that the first thing that came down was the Yud, that dot. From there was the expansion of understanding, the He. From there was the male emotions, which is the giver, which is the thou shalt do. And then there's the lowest level, which is that thou shalt not sin, controlling the thought, speech, and action. Thus the teshuva is the same way. First, let's clean up the malchut. Let's clean up from the thought, speech, and actions which are prohibited. Then let's begin to do. Then let's study Torah. And then let's have ultimate self-negation and humility. The last question we have to deal with is, before we wrap this up, is... Four cups and four cups. Four emet and four emet. We keep on talking about four, but I mentioned that there's eight. But the eight are two dimensions. Why? So you're familiar with the 13 attributes of mercy? I'll sing the beginning to you. Hashem, Hashem, Keorachon, Vechanon. Right? We do it on Yom Kippur. So the first two of the 13 attributes is the same name of God twice. Yudke, Vavke, Yudke, Vavke. The musical note when you read the Torah is, you pause. It's a pause musical note. The Zohar points out that means that there's two dimensions of the Yud Kei Vav Kei. The lower one we just explained. Isn't it two Yuds? No, just Yud Hei Vav Hei. No, whenever you see Yud Yud, it's because they don't want to write God's name. There is no real name Yud Yud. They just don't want to print it that way. So they have the Yud Hei Vav Hei, the lower one we just explained. The lower one is the way it manifests itself in our ten faculties. Wisdom, understanding, six emotions, right? Knowledge, six emotions, and the thought, speech, and action. That's the lower Yudke Vavke. The higher Yudke Vavke is beyond that. The Zohar talks about it as the infinite will. Thus, we now understand that just like there's two names of God, Yudhe Vavhe, twice, 
so too in the blessing you have twice, four times emet. Right? The first paragraph is the lower yud hey vav hey, which is the exodus of the four decrees of Pharaoh within Egypt itself. The higher name of God, the yud hey vav hey, which is a total higher level of teshuva. That is the four, the second four emets in the second paragraph of the blessing, which represents not only the four redemptions of the four decrees of Pharaoh within Egypt, but of all four exiles, including the exile we're in now, which means the redemption of Mashiach. Thus we understand that the four cups of wine play itself out on two levels. There's only four letters to God's name, not eight, but there's two levels of it. Thus we have two levels of the four emets. Thus we have two opinions of what the four cups of wine is, and the answer is it's both. One level and higher level. There's the first level of teshuva, which is four that we spoke about. Don't do, do, study, humility, and then there's the higher four, the teshuva of oneness with the will of God. So those four are double. Unfortunately, I must tell you, the Rebbe doesn't explain the four levels in the higher name. He just says that it's a different level. Okay, so that was basically explaining everything that we asked. We have to, yeah. The only thing we have to do now is come to the practical side. We opened up with what? We opened up with the struggle that we have. God, I did take a step. I did really do this. Why didn't I achieve what I wanted to achieve? Why don't I have reprieve? Why am I still stuck in self? Why am I still stuck in my own craziness? If I'm doing what I have to do and I'm taking the step, I drank the cup of wine in all its meanings, the teshuva and everything, why is it still not happening for me? So here's the answer. Yes, of course, every level of teshuva is a leg of the journey and bring us closer to our desired freedom and peace of mind. And if we fall after one, two or three steps, that doesn't negate the three steps of teshuva that we did. If you have to walk two miles and after one mile you fall and you break your leg, how many miles do you have to still walk? One, not two. Just because you fell doesn't mean that you lost the first mile. It's not like go back to jail, don't collect $200. You are where you are, but you're in pain. Okay? Thus, however, our destiny of spirituality, faith, trust, and peace of mind needs us to take all four steps of teshuva with a total abandonment of self to God. When we're looking for that true freedom and we say, God, we took that one step. Oh, there's four steps to take. Thank you. <laughs>